0: Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, and a board-certified lactation consultant.
1: And I am your co-host, Dr. Kathy Leeper. I've been a breastfeeding medicine specialist since 2001, and I'm currently practicing in Nebraska and Kansas.
0: This podcast is produced and edited by the Milk Mob and is co-sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Are you ready to go? Hi, Kathy. How are you? Hey,
2: I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So, I'm today. I'm going to talk about the the American Academy of Pediatric update on. Infant sleep and breastfeeding. And after I do that, you're going to talk about the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine Clinical Protocol Number Three on non pharmacological management of procedure related pain of breastfeeding infants. the, The updated ABM protocol. So, first, I'll talk about AAP. Sounds good. The American Academy of Pediatrics recently updated their policy statement on Sudden Infant Death and Other Sleep-Related Infant Deaths. And this was done by the Task Force on Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Um, This was uh, just published in 2016. And uh, the article starts out with some demographics um, stating that approximately 3,500 infants die every year in the United States from sleep-related infant deaths. And just as an example, there was just an article in the Wisconsin State Journal um, just this weekend that a young mother in Wisconsin was recently found guilty of, of uh, suffocating her three-month-old. She oh. apparently was, yeah, it's very sad. She was intoxicated, and she fell asleep on top of her infant in a mm. relatively makeshift bed. And so it's just a, just a horrible situation. Um, so it does happen.
1: Okay.
2: Um According to their article, sleep-related infant deaths initially declined right after the Back to Sleep campaign in the early 90s, but in reality, the number of sleep-related deaths hasn't really declined in in the most recent years. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So my guess is that most, if not all of our listeners, know that that the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that infants should be put on their backs to sleep on a firm mattress and without any soft bedding or toys. And a lot of the current statements recommendations are in the 2011 American Academy of Pediatrics statement on sudden infant death. So I'm not going to go over the entire statement. There's not a lot of new. There's there aren't many new things, but there are a few that I think are interesting. Mm-hmm. The 2011 statement covered the importance of avoiding uh, cigarette smoke, alcohol, and illicit drug exposure, at and. and a, that was the first time that it endorsed breastfeeding as a preventative measure, which we were, which was very exciting and that, that yeah yeah, and that continued in two thousand and sixteen um, uh, so what's new in this in this statement is first of all, they clarified that skin to skin is important, and skin to skin was not m- mentioned in two thousand and eleven. And mm-hmm. I think that they're trying to avoid stating that all infants should be put supine when sleeping, because sometimes babies are sleeping when they're skin to skin, which is kind of, kind of a prone position, depending on the position mm-hmm. of the, of the um, parent. Skin to skin is beneficial. And one of their other policy statements that was published in September, they discuss um, the safety recommendations of skin to skin. So there are some issues with skin to skin to make sure that the infant um, is safe when prone in terms of like airway. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, they state that when parents need to put the baby down after having the baby skin-to-skin, the baby should be put down supine on a firm surface in accordance with their other recommendations, such as avoiding overdressing, overheating, um, and in an environment that's free of other objects that the infant can uh, choke on or become strangulated from. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, So... In uh, 2011, room sharing was ad- in the 2011 statement. They did uh, recommend room sharing, but this statement is a little bit different because the the duration of room sharing wasn't really clear in the last statement. And in this statement, they make it clear that they recommend room sharing for at least six months and even up to a year. And right. uh, they emphasize that room sharing is um, has definitely been shown to reduce uh, the rate of uh, sudden unexpected infant deaths. Um, probably because there's less risk of danger, strangulation, remembering that things were, you know, thrown into the crib by accident and so they can see them and take them out, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2011, they um, advised against using any kind of sidecar, you know, those like newer cribs that you can attach to a bed. Right. Um so, um, and people, I find that my patients like them because they can, you know, he, they can reach the babies, they can put a hand on the baby and feel really close to the baby without worrying that they're going to roll over on the baby. And, um, in the, and so, and, in 2011, they, didn't, they actually recommended against them because it wasn't, wasn't really any information about them at all. And in the updated statement, they now say that the Consumer Product Safety Commission has uh, safety standards for these. And Mm -hmm. so they recommend that it's okay to use a sidecar that meets the commission's uh, standards. Um, But they do state that there's really no data on Mm -hmm. the risk of unexpected deaths with those things um, or whether or not they're protective of sudden infant death. Not yet. What is that? We don't have any data.
1: We don't have data
2: yet. Not yet. Yeah, eventually (laughs) more people use them. So the 2011 statement um, emphasized for mattresses, but it didn't mention anything about memory foam. Um, but now the, the, the statement specifically says to not put uh, babies down on memory foam or or those mattress toppers. Mm-hmm. And they also mentioned that some companies advertise these mattresses that are breathable in case the baby does end up prone but the American Academy of Pediatrics states that they can't endorse these because there's no data on them. And then finally, the the biggest change, um, I think, in the statement is the whole issue about um, nursing or feeding in the middle of the night. Yes. uh, Yes. And in 2011, they said it was okay to nurse the baby in bed as long as the parent doesn't fall asleep while nursing or feeding the baby in bed. And then when the baby's done feeding, to go ahead and put the baby back in the crib – but um, you and I both know that that's not really what happens, right? Because especially okay. if mom's breastfeeding, she's going to fall asleep. So mm-hmm. it emphasized in 2011 that feeding on a couch or recliner in the middle of the night was not safe due to the risk of falling asleep during feeding. And you know we know that those are very unsafe um, surfaces to be on. Mm-hmm. So in the 2016 statement, they acknowledge that adults do fall asleep when feeding infants at night Um, So it's really better to nurse or feed the baby actually in bed than going to a recliner or going to the couch in the middle of the night because if a parent feels like they're likely to fall asleep while feeding, then it's much better to be on that firm surface. And then if if the parent falls asleep with the baby in the bed when the parent wakes up, to then put the baby back into the crib or the bassinet, um, basically take the baby out of the bed at that point. Right. Um, so there's still, of course, is the concern about the parent's bed, which they mentioned throughout the throughout the policy, you know, in terms of like if one parent is intoxicated or medicated in some way or a very heavy sleeper or if there's another child in the bed or if the bed is unsafe in some way, such as having pillows or the risk of the baby falling between the mattress and the wall or the mattress and the headboard, all that kind of stuff that We are aware of so, so yeah. So that's those are basically the updates um, in the 2016 SIDS and other sleep-related infant death report by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Do you think they left anything out? Mm, Well, I wish they would have gone
1: into more detail about how to make a bed, an adult bed surface, as safe as
2: it could be. Yeah, I agree. I think that the American Academy, I mean the um, Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine statement is pretty good about that. It's pretty specific about how to make the bed safer. Right. Um, I want to mention, too, that La Leche League um, has its, uh, I guess I wouldn't really call it a campaign, but they came up with a really nice um, handout for families regarding um, safer bed sharing, because even though the American Academy of Pediatrics says you know, don't sleep with the baby in the bed. We know that people do anyway. And there's pretty mm-hmm. good evidence that if um, if these seven rules are, are followed by the La Leche League, so they call it the, the safe sleep seven rules, that um, basically uh, breast, breastfeeding infants should be safe. So the rules are that if a mother is a non-smoker, she's sober, she's breastfeeding, and the baby is healthy on his or her back and lightly dressed and not swa- swaddled, and they share a safe surface, like a firm surface without, you know, all kinds of stuff around, then the baby's risk of sudden infant death is no greater than in a crib, and any breathing hazards have been hugely reduced. So um, so I, I feel that there's good evidence for for. For that statement. And um, I think that those are, you know, some rules that we can share with families who are, if they're willing to talk about cold sleeping, um, I think those are fair rules to share with them. Unfortunately, I wish that, um, you know, I wish that American Academy of Pediatrics um, would address that as well. You know, uh, the right. issues. They do say that there's no question that breastfeeding is protective, mm-hmm. but they still do kind of state that just a perfectly healthy breastfeeding baby is at higher risk for sudden infant death um, if mom is nursing in bed. Yeah. Despite those issues. So we have, so there's some controversy there.
1: There is. And like you say, the important part is having the conversation. Right. uh, Right. Directly with the parents.
2: Right. I think that um, some of the consequences of the Last um, AAP statement are that parents have become very, very freaked out about having their babies in bed to the point where they're just so anxious because they do, they find that they can't really sleep because the baby's up often, the baby's happiest if the baby Mm. is snuggled or skin to skin and they just, they absolutely will not bring this baby into bed. And mm-hmm. then they're worried about the couch and the sofa. And I feel that there's just, um, these parents are just, you know, um, are walking resi- the
1: floors, walking the
2: floors, Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're beside themselves. Um, and so I actually find just for the mental health that I oftentimes will say, you know, why don't you just take your baby in bed? And I would say that common response is I just can't do that. I just absolutely can't mm-hmm. do it. So I think we, um, we still don't have an answer for those families and, and, um, on how to, how to help them get some sleep and their babies to get some sleep too.
1: Right. And that extends into the hospital setting, you know. I mean, yes. It's, it's not as long a period of time, but it's a very vulnerable, sleep-deprived period of time. And I look forward to the day when we can have a way that mom and baby can both rest soundly safely.
2: Right, right. And I think I think that um, our hosp- one of our hospitals in Madison is looking at having those sidecars um, in the hospital. Yeah, I think that. Would, mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing about having the bassinets in the hospital is that if a mother had a C-section or she's sore or not feeling stable, to lift the baby out of that box. It's a long ways it's, away. It's a long mm-hmm. ways away. And then actually having to lift the baby and bring it over. There have been babies that have fallen um, mm-hmm. because of moms not having a firm grip. And so, having it really attached to the bed in its own little area makes a lot more sense. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're going to talk about the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine protocol number twenty-three. Number twenty-three. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Called non-pharmacological pain management of procedure-related pain in the breastfeeding infant. It's newly revised and recently published in our journal. Sarah Ree Strempton, an anesthesiologist in Washington, D.C., and Larry Gray, a pediatrician in Chicago, wrote the revision. Great. The purpose of this protocol is to provide healthcare professionals with evidence-based guidelines on how to incorporate non-pharmacological or behavioral interventions to relieve procedure-induced pain in the breastfeeding infant. So we know that we do routinely subject newborns to painful procedures like vitamin K and vaccinations and heel sticks. And so this protocol is about what we can do to decrease the amount of pain that they're experiencing. Um, in term newborns, the first choice for decreasing pain in babies is having a sing- who are having a single painful procedure like a heel stick is breastfeeding during the procedure. And it's important to know that it's not helpful to put a baby to the breast before a procedure, then take them off the breast to do the procedure, because it's been shown they do not respond any better than those babies who didn't get to go to the breast at all. So they must be at the breast during the entire procedure to to receive the full benefit. If the baby refuses to latch on at the time they're to have a procedure, then skin-to-skin contact with mom or somebody else if mom's not around can be comforting. And not surprisingly, if you combine skin-to-skin with direct breastfeeding, it's been shown to provide superior pain relief over skin-to-skin alone or sucrose alone.
2: Yeah, so I had a question about that because um, Mm -hmm. when I think, so that means that if moms do skin to skin and breastfeed, I, I kinda of think of that as being funny because um, okay, does that mean that mom is taking off mm-hmm. her shirt and bra and the baby's up right. down? Which I think that a lot of mothers, like in my office, are not going to be super comfortable having the phlebotomist come in <laughs> to <do the> bra <laughs> while they're like Yeah, you would have to yeah, you'd have to be prepared for that, I suppose, with a
1: Gown yeah. opens in the front and all of that.
2: Yeah. Plus they're they're there for the baby and not for themselves, and so you know right. they may yeah. So that's kind of interesting. So
1: yeah, yeah. There would be some logistics to hammer out, but yeah. um, I suppose once moms understood that it was helping their kid out, they might be willing to do that.
2: Yeah, I think so, it would have been more the staff, the office. Yes, and
1: it would be more work to let the mom disrobe and such. Right. Halfway. So, okay. So, so far we have direct breastfeeding, skin to skin with or without direct breastfeeding as both effective strategies to deal with pain relief. Next is warmth that has been shown to have an anal- analgesic effect of its own, which a baby would be getting during skin to skin, but if that's not possible, a radiant warmer could be used. And the smell of human milk alone has been sh- reduce pain in several studies. So if a baby were refusing to take the milk for some reason, just smelling it can be helpful.
2: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Sucrose, as I think everyone knows, has been shown to be an effective analgesic for newborns and young babies for lots of minor procedures like heel sticks and venipuncture and and injections, but not for lengthier, more invasive ones like or even bladder catheterization if baby is over 30 days' age. And sucrose plus non-nutritive sucking is even more soothing than the sucrose by itself. In fact, sucrose plus non-nutritive sucking gives similar relief to direct breastfeeding. This is done by dipping a pacifier or a finger in 24% sucrose solution and then having the baby suck on it starting about two minutes before and then during the procedure. If sucking is not an option for some reason, then the um, sucrose solution 0.5 to 2 mLs can be given directly um, or orally with a syringe two minutes prior to the procedure. And um, it's important to note that 24% sucrose placed directly into the stomach does not have this analgesic effect. It has to be placed in the mouth. Mm -hmm. So sucrose and glucose both appear appear to be equally effective, but sucrose has been shown in one study to work better than breast milk when it's not obtained straight from the breast. So if the baby will not latch for a procedure, then... Uh, suprose given while the baby is skin to skin, according to this one study, might be a better analgesic than expressed breast milk while skin to skin. But we certainly need some more studies to verify that. Mm-hmm. Um, lastly, sucking alone on a pacifier or a finger is somewhat seizing by itself. So it's better than nothing if breastfeeding human milk, skin to skin, Sucrose and glucose are all not available at the moment. Sucking is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, for yeah. preterm babies, there's less research on this topic. Um, and the ABM protocol makes recommendations for babies at least 27 weeks gestation, just admitting we don't have enough data on earlier preemies to say much. So for babies at least 27 weeks, to, bleh, excuse me, start over. So, for babies at least 27 weeks gestation, recommendations are similar to the term newborns in that skin to skin, or smelling human milk, or a pacifier dipped in sucrose or water to suck on, or sucrose given orally all can be effective strategies. But the dose of sucrose is smaller. It's 0.1 to 0.4 mLs of the 24% solution. And studies on preemies have been shown to be most effective when given two minutes before. Immediately before and two minutes after a heel stick specifically is the procedure
2: mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think this is such a good protocol. It was really great and then the I saw that in their um, in the references, there actually is a new update that came from the aAP as well, the American Academy of Pediatrics mm-hmm. from their committee on fetus and newborn and section on anesthesiology and pain medicine. Um called prevention and management of procedural pain in the and update, so that was just super recent I guess it was in february uh-huh. and um they um also you know strongly strongly uh indicate that breastfeeding is a very important way to uh, decrease pain, and they emphasize that all people all um providers like physicians and family and family medicine. Uh, physicians who work with who work with infants um, should have some means uh, for some plan to deal with pain when there's when they're doing procedures. Which you know, I personally think I think in our whole medical system we don't have an expected organized approach to this for immunizations mm-hmm. and heel sticks. That's true. Yeah, and I and I began thinking like, why is that? You know, why don't we do that? You know, years ago, they used to say that premature infants didn't feel pain, so they would just, like, do surgeries on them without any, I know, isn't that freaky? Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I, so after reading this protocol and reading the AAP um, protocol or policy statement that just came out, too, I feel like I want to take a really organized approach to at least my office and make sure that we come up with a strategy Mm-hmm. You know, but the one thing I would say is that my patients, when I say to them, you know, you could breastfeed while we give your baby immunizations, they worry about that because they say that they don't want the baby to associate breastfeeding with pain.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I looked at one of the reasons I pulled this AAP statement is to see if there was any mention of that. Um mm-hmm. And I didn't see that.
1: So. Well, gosh, it would seem when, when the baby goes to the breast hundreds of times and has a positive experience that, that the reason it's helpful, or one of the reasons it's helpful, is that it is such a positive experience. So having one negative stick during that positive experience amidst hundreds of positive experiences, you know, you wouldn't think that it would.
2: Yeah, precious. I... I agree. I think parents are really worried about that, but um, when you think about it, like when I examine an, like a 15 month old or an 18 month old, they won't sit on the table by themselves. They worry, and so as soon as mom, mm-hmm. as soon as they sit on the parent's lap, then suddenly they're happy, and they're more willing to let me examine them. And I guess it's kind of the mm-hmm. same thing. A similar thing, yeah. Yeah,
1: they're in I, a safe place,
2: Something right?
1: Comfortable happening.
2: Right, right. I was. Um, one of the things I thought also that was interesting is that this early pain that we're not treating may end up having significant consequences for infants when they're older, that they may have a heightened sensitivity to pain Mm -hmm. in the future. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, I don't think that we really acknowledge that too much, but when I look at my own patients, um, some some of them are very well-adjusted when they're older, you know, and they do fine, and they come in and say, okay, I'll have a shot, you know, whatever, but I find that when they're between six months and two years, after getting shots at two and four months, at six months, they already sort of freak out when they are laid on the table just for an exam. Um, because, mm-hmm. if you, you know, you can just tell that they know that they're feeling very vulnerable and worried. Whereas my I have a number of patients in my practice that don't immunize. And those babies are just the most, are the calmest, happiest babies ever in the office because they've never experienced that kind of pain. Right. Mhm so um, I guess you know they really you know by it's always amazing to be by six months how they have figured that out already. <laughs> yeah, they're smart, they're smart, yeah, so uh, that all sounds good um, anything else to add yeah, um, oh, I was going to say,
1: add that um, in a premature set, there's a study about. Um babies between thirty two and thirty seven weeks showing human milk was just as effective as sucrose. So it's counteracting the prior statement that we have one little study that says sucrose is more effective than expressed milk. Hmm. So stay tuned. They're 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 contradicting each other in those two um, slightly different age groups.
2: Yeah. And these are probably not humongous studies either, you know. No, they're not. Yeah. They're not. Right. They're a small number. Right.
1: And unfortunately there's even less information when you get over one month of age in the term baby set. Um between one month and a year, there's not much in the right way of research, um, except in the sucrose. Um, that it continues to be effective for minor procedures to a year. Um and the protocol goes on to suggest that even though we don't currently have any data proving that breastfeeding is helpful for kids over a month of age, it would seem there is potential benefit and certainly no risk if breastfeeding mothers would like to con- to try breastfeeding during-, during immunizations or heel sticks.
2: Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. I think we really need to be working on that. And I think also yeah. it's like one of those things where we can tell parents when we talk about Um, reasons to breastfeed. We can say, you know what? It's a great way to comfort kids when they're undergoing pain. And for Mm -hmm. sure, I talk about this when, um, you know, when infants are, well, when they're toddlers between one and two. Yeah. They fall down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They fall down. They're Mm -hmm. sick. They have nausea. They have a fever. What a great way to nurture a toddler, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a back pocket technique. All right. Yeah. Well, it's good talking to you, Kathy. And, um, We'll stay in touch and talk to you soon.
1: All right. Thanks a lot.
2: Yeah, bye.
1: Bye
0: Bye-bye. For questions regarding this podcast, contact us through themilkmob.org. We have other educational projects going on there, such as the Clinical Question of the Week and our Outpatient Breastfeeding Champion programs. If you want to see what we look like, check out our Facebook page, where you can also share comments and questions with your co-listeners. To learn more about the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, please visit www.bfmed.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you in a few weeks.